1: Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford
3: To getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Hi, everyone. It's Sophia. Welcome to Work in Progress. Hello, Whip Smarties. Today, we have an incredible trailblazer, a woman whose work in the space of making us all more vulnerable about our humanity, our aging, our love lives, and how we see ourselves. I'm just so incredibly inspired by her. Today, we're joined by none other than Paulina Porzakova. Paulina was born in Czechoslovakia in the Cold War, relocated as a political refugee to Sweden, and then began modeling in Paris at the age of 15. In 1984, she was the first Central European woman to ever appear on the cover of the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit issue. By 1989, she was the face of Estee Lauder, the same year that she married her former husband, the frontman of the cars, Rico Kosick. He was 40 at the time, and Paulina was just 19. And in the decades to come, during their marriage, motherhood, a budding writing career for her. There was also sadness, loneliness, isolation, eventually a divorce and the revelation of a deep betrayal after her ex passed away. And Paulina really stunned her fans by being fiercely vulnerable and open. She came to the internet expressing her sadness and grief with such a disarming honesty that she really called in the world to share in her experience of being a woman who had to start over. She wrote an incredibly beautiful book called Unfiltered about her exploration of everything, heartbreak, grief, beauty, aging, relationships, reinventing and finding your purpose. And you've got to read the book if you haven't, you've got to follow her on Instagram if you don't. Her community is certainly one of my favorites in the digital space. And I feel like every time I peruse her page, I learn something. Let's jump in. Paulina, I'm so happy to have you here today. You are one of my favorite Instagram friends, one of the women who inspires me so much, and I can't wait to ask you all of the questions and just get to hang. (laughs)
5: Oh well, that's so cool to hear and I love following you too like we're we're Instagram friends how amazing is that right I, I know mean, sometimes the social media thing can be so awful and then sometimes it's so mm-hmm. wonderful I mean so you I guess you can take your pick but it's so yeah. lovely to meet you okay so it's kind of face to face sort of ish yeah um, but yeah oh, yeah um, pretty close yeah 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 so it's it's really nice to get to talk to you too
4: it is. I love it. Well, I, gosh, there's so many things that I'm curious about, about your life. And and you set such a beautiful example for people who follow you and for people who get to, you know, check in in that digital space and also just out in the world in general. But before we get into, you know, this phase of life that you're in and the way you use your voice, I actually want to rewind and find out from this perspective, if you know you look back at Paulina as a little girl, whether you were like eight or nine years old, do you see through lines to your personality now in who you were as a little girl? Can you kind of set the the scene for us about how you grew up
5: well i i um I think that, well those who follow me and who have read my book already know this, but I'm <laughs> repeat for those who don't. Um yeah, I I mean I do believe that all of our I mean our childhoods are what forms us into the people that we are, right? I always mm-hmm. think I was actually in the I think it's called the Huntington Gardens the other yeah. day. Yeah, my boyfriend took me there. It's it's a beautiful place. And we walked past this little place that had just bonsai trees. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at them and I thought um and it sort of reminded me how I think that we are like bonsai trees we're 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 trimmed by our parents and shaped by circumstances to Mm. become the people we are and 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 it's almost impossible to escape that initial shape and also like obviously you know if you are you know if you're an oak or if you're a weeping willow or if you are you know whatever whatever tree you actually are that's who you will always be but Circumstances and parenting is what makes you shaped one way or the, or the other. And so mm-hmm. to return back to my own shaping, I mean I feel like I'm exactly the same person that I, you know, was as a as a little girl.
4: That's so cool.
5: The ingredients are the same. But it's I've been baked a lot longer. God, I'm like full of metaphors. I'm sorry. <laughs> metaphors, metaphors are fun. And like this, this one always sort of brings me back to the metaphorical, I I apologize. But um, I was, you know, I was, uh, when I was three years old, my parents left um, uh, me because they were escaping the then communist invasion of um, Russia. Mm -hmm. Actually, it was the Soviet Union back then. Um, And they left me because they were young and they thought they didn't realize the consequences of their actions. They were, you know, in their early 20s and and they thought, I guess they thought that they would get out of the country and then sort of, you know, have me sent for like wherever they were going to end up. They were going to send for me. And that, of course, didn't work out Um, because once the uh, Soviet Union invaded the Czech Republic, all the borders were closed. And then we were. Stuck behind the Iron Curtain until the nineties. So that separated me from my parents for a really long time, and uh, and and so I sort of unwittingly, like I feel like sometimes life has propelled me in these ways that I'm not responsible for. You know, like Mm. I'm not responsible for being a child left by our parents, Um, and also I became the sort of symbol of. Uh, of the Iron Curtain, the, the deprivations of the Iron Curtain, because my parents, in order to get me out of the country, used a lot of the Swedish press. Sweden is where they ended up afterwards. Mm-hmm. And so I, became, so I became like this famous political refugee. I had no idea. I was just a little chubby girl living with grandma. But I was also the symbol of, of, mm-hmm. you know, of the wrongs of, of, um, of communism. And uh, uh, and I got this whole other persona that was had nothing to really do with me. It only had to do with how people viewed me. Right. Um, and I didn't really even put those two together until I was then later on. My mother came back for me, got me out of the country, we moved to Sweden uh, permanently, and then I sort of got to encounter this other persona that had grown up around me, which was Paulina, the political refugee. Yeah, that wasn't at all the little girl that I was. That was very curious, very peculiar, and I think kind of really formative in also how I then approached my modeling career, because in a lot of ways, that's the same sort of thing. You know, people see you on paper.
6: Mm-hmm. you
5: hear about you and they form their own conclusions about who you are as a person. Yes. And that person might not actually have a whole lot in common with the actual person.
4: One of the things I find fascinating about it is people who believe they know you as a three-dimensional human from two-dimensional snapshots. Because what it really does and, and, You know, you mentioned it, that there's there's wonderful things, connection possible, education possible because of social media, but there's also this reality that people believe that two-dimensional you is all you are. Right. And there is so much more inside of you and so many more dynamics happening and so much more about your life. You know, life happens in 3D. And it's really fascinating to think about your journey as someone whose circumstance in the in print became an identity of sorts that that you had to grapple with and then your profession in print became another identity and yet you are you know this person who exists in 360 degrees in your life going those are just pieces of me that's part of my story or that's what i do for work and and there is a me under all of this I would imagine that, you know, in every phase, you think about that. I know it's something you talk about in terms of what your life is now. Were you, were you aware of it in this sort of deep way as a teenager, you know, living in Sweden? Or, or is it something you've, you've had to sort of go back and unearth and, and understand as an adult? Maybe both. Both, both, yeah. Mm -hmm.
5: And of course, I'm thinking about you, too, being an actress. Mm Mm-hmm. And and how people assume they know you from watching you playing a part, which is even more confusing, because you're actually playing somebody who you're not in 3D. So that's like, I think that's really confusing to people, is when you enter that realm. But, okay, that aside, um, and I'm curious... About So so like also to reverse the question after I answer it, for me, when I was a teenager, um, and actually until I think until fairly recently, I had this sort of uncomfortable relationship with uh, what was said about me and other people's Mm -hmm. assumptions. I always had this feeling that I was somehow overlooked, like the actual me was overlooked, which was accurate. Mm. But I didn't yeah, I couldn't exactly I couldn't put it into words. I didn't spend a whole lot of time pondering and because when you're young, you have a lot of other things to do that you know <laughs> that are a lot more pressing.
4: Yeah. You know,
5: going out. <laughs> um so yeah, I didn't spend a whole lot of time analyzing it like I have now. But there were elements, things that I did that were sort of direct responses to to this, and some of them were Sort of very rebellious, you know, where I um, I had this real desire to tell people the truth, mm-hmm. when, whether I was asked or not asked. <laughs> um, and so I got myself into hot water quite often because once I became a model, and I was, you know, I was 15, so I was, I was still a little girl. Um, and I remember the first interview I ever did was for Awesome magazine and I was asked what, you know, the guy just sort of said so, you know, would you, you know, how do you like modeling? And I said it sucks. And that became the headline of the piece, you know, model bites the that feeds her, you know, so modeling sucks. And yeah, there was a there was an element of that. Um, but of course but there was also this desire to sort of stop people for a moment and, 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 and sort of be like, hang on a second. Just like before you put your assumptions on me, let me stand up and speak for myself. And that was sort of an attention grabber. Uh. Um, I, I just wasn't wise enough at that time to actually be able to really unroll it and and make myself heard the way that I want it to be and that's all come with age and with social media because on social media we actually have a voice even though as you say we're two-dimensional on social media but we're not being translated through somebody else it's not a journalist taking your words and fitting them into the character they want you to be it's you getting to speak your mind from from the well of you
7: Mm-hmm.
5: And uh, so it, it in some ways, the you know, social media for me has been kind of the, one of the best things that has happened
4: to me. We'll be back in just a minute. But here's a word from our sponsors. Bean Dad,
5: The Dress,
0: 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do, too. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail.
2: Employing
10: whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry.
2: She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five,
10: The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: What about you? Did you, when, when did you start acting?
4: Oh, gosh, when I was 18, I was doing, you know, theater in school before that, um, but I didn't really venture into a professional world of it until I was in college. And I love being a storyteller, but it is, you know, to your point, there's there's conflict there. It's really wonderful. And it sucks, you know, getting up and having to move away from your family Um having it be completely impossible to have any version of, you know, a routine or schedule a doctor's appointment or, um, you know, travel when, you know, someone gets married or God forbid someone passes away. Like it's weird to sort of be beholden to an industry so intensely. I love it. And it's hard. It's, it's all of the things. And I think what made it all the more strange for me was, you know, junior high and high school, I went to an all girls school that was very academic which I loved, you know, super nerdy for me. And then within three years of graduating high school, I was on this massive hit TV show, kind of at the whim of an industry that, despite having grown up in LA, I knew nothing about. I didn't know about its machinations. I didn't know about its propensity to use young women to um, create, you know, fodder that would make money for other people, but not those young women. Like, I, I just... I I got thrust into it so fast and I had no idea what I was doing and I, I really got chewed up and spit out. But I think experiencing that and realizing how young women are so often treated as pawns, um, as commodities. Yeah, objects. Objects in the jobs you and I do uh, made me a very feisty little activist because I went, oh, no, no, I don't. I'm not going to agree with this. This is this is some bullshit. Uh, and so, you know, the advent of social media, similarly to what you're saying, you know, enabled me to speak more. Right. And I think one of the things that in this stage of life where I feel freer than I've ever felt before and more myself than I've ever felt before is I've realized that sometimes I'm ready to talk about something right away and sometimes I need to sit. Right. And that's, that's new too, because it is such an immediate platform. So it's, it's ever changing to your point. You know, I think the relationships with all of it shift, but I, I can't imagine, you know, for you sort of hitting the ground running in the way that you did it at just 15. It was hard for me at 21 and 15 is so young. I mean, how, how did that happen? So, you know, you, you, you escaped finally or, or you were able to be brought out as this political refugee with your family you moved to Sweden and then this modeling career happens were you in the midst of a culture shock or did you feel like you settled in Sweden and then this happened what, what was that time like for you it was actually
5: i i for a long time i thought that that was the hardest part of my life
4: wow
5: because it was so incredibly Hard and um, and such a dark part of my life that I sort of had the carte blanche now, and that I wasn't going to go through any more severe hardships. And nay to that, <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> turns out that's
5: not how life works. Nope,
4: turns out they keep coming. Yeah, yeah.
5: Um, but yeah, that was a that was a, a very difficult time for me as a child because yes, I did come. I we hit Sweden when I was like ten. And I had to relearn a culture, of course, I had to you know learn a language I had to and but not it's not like when you move from country to country that you only learn a language. there's also like things that are not so obvious to you like um children's programs um you know stories, uh, folk songs, traditions of mm-hmm. you know it's all you have to take all of this in and make that your own in order to fit in order to fit like you are a part of this new country and that you fit. And I so wanted to. Like we all want to fit in, right? Mm. I so wanted to fit in. And I never did. I was never allowed to fit in. Not not in those years. And I think it was mostly because I was famous. I was famous as a political refugee. So all these kids in school looked yeah. at me and they were like, well, you smell because you're communist. Um, mm. and, uh, so it's like I had this cloak of... Otherness that I couldn't mm-hmm. shed, no matter how hard I tried to be like everybody else. I I, I have an essay about it in my book, in where mm. I'm talking about like the, the the just the money part of it, where I thought, oh, maybe the reason you know your ch- child, so you simplified it. Maybe the reason that I'm not fitting in while I'm assimilating so well, I'm speaking the language. I'm, You know, I'm, I'm, I was better at Swedish than most of my classmates because I love language. Um, uh, and so I thought, oh, so maybe it's money. It's because we don't have very much money. And so I don't get to buy the cool clothes that everybody else is wearing. And I kind of <laughs> look like, you know. I look like there's like a refugee because my mom kept insisting in dressing me in all these fashions she got in secondhand stores that, you know, set me back about ten years free, you know, free whatever the time was the 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 mid seventies. Right. And so I thought money could, would buy me a way out of that. And went to work over the summer and, and worked really hard all summer so I could get enough money to buy that one pair of jeans and that one t-shirt and that one pair of kids, mm. you know, the, the, and the military belt that would make me look like everybody else. And uh, and I was really excited. It was like, you know, it was that, you know, like after the summer, I'm going to come back and I'm going to, I'm just going to be one of, like, I'm going to be one, one of you. Yeah. And, and I managed to get the, the the outfit, and I and I walked in first day of school. It was ninth grade, so I was like fourteen, and uh, and it seemed to, and it made no difference at all. It's like nobody saw the same people that didn't see me before didn't see me now, mm. and the same people that picked on me then. Picked on me now, just for a different yeah. reason. Now they started picking on me because I was trying to actively fit in, and so I got my head dunked in the toilet, and uh, um, and that's what I got for my, you know, for my trying to fit in. Mm. Uh, and this is also where I discovered that money was not the answer. It wasn't that which made me different from everybody else. And so, with a child's easy logic. I assumed it was the same thing that made my parents leave me, which was that there was something inherently wrong with me with, yes. with my insides. there was something just terribly wrong with the person that I was that made people dislike me, and I mm. couldn't figure out why, and that was going to be the lot my lot in life was that nobody was gonna ever love me mm. that was the conclusion I drew
4: of course well it's it's such a thing when you when you're othered or bullied or you know you experience those sorts of traumas as a kid um you know the the trauma of what you went through with your family leaving and being separated like it's it's so it's such a big thing that gets into your developing brain and then of course you you rationalize I must have done something it must be me I mean I god I spent 40 years on the not enough, too much seesaw, and then eventually went like, I'm just going to get off. I'm going to get off the ride. But it takes so long, I think, to, as an adult, go back and unpack these strange connections that your brain makes when you're young. Did you actually manage? Did you manage to
5: get off that seesaw? Because I'm still kind of occasionally hanging out on it.
4: I mean, I don't think anybody ever gets off it permanently, I don't think that that's really possible but I do I do realize that I am finally at a point and I think in a way sometimes you know you have to grind yourself down or like whatever people talk about it with addiction it's hitting rock bottom right right for me I think what it took was going to the end of every road that everybody said, if you just do the work and if you just do the therapy and if you just do the couples counseling and you just do the, and I went to the end of every single one and went, I just don't think this is for me. I, I've done all the work. There's no more work to do. I, I have to figure out how to say, oh, perhaps what I'm doing is I'm just stripping off all of these things that I've been told I'm supposed to be that aren't me. And I'm not gonna downplay heartache or betrayal or unhappiness or <laughs> seismic shifts that tell me this is not for me, you know? I'm not, I'm not gonna do that anymore. Who am I serving by doing that? And it, And it's been more of that sort of a journey for me where I've realized I deserve to be happy and not everything needs to feel like a slog every day and doing the work I think sometimes is um, mismanaged therapy speak for making women do emotional labor that is not theirs to do. And in a way, just like trying to take off everything that isn't mine uh, has allowed me to be less held hostage on that seesaw. I realized some of that intense swinging that's dizzied me my whole life is other people's and I'm like, you take it, you do it, I'm good, I'm I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, I I think of
5: that as, I mean, it might not be exactly that, but
4: mm, shame.
5: I think of that as shame, as mm-hmm. other people shaming you for mm-hmm. not being this or not being that or being too much of one thing and too little of another. And I think that's such a societal ill that mm-hmm. we place so much shame on women. Women. Yeah. Mostly women. Like, I always mm-hmm. keep thinking men only get shamed for one thing. Um, there, I mean, there's a lot of things that go under the umbrella of the one thing, but men are shamed for not being men enough. And that's
6: mm-hmm. it.
5: We're shamed for like literally everything from everything. the moment we were born. The way we look, the way we talk, the way we act, the way we dress, the way we do
4: this, Mm -hmm. the way I mean, like, too tall, too short, too fat, too thin, too successful, not successful enough, too ambitious. You have no ambition. You're lazy. Too pretty. You're not pretty at all. It just is like no matter what you are, you can't do it right. If you're if you're a gal, it's wild.
5: Yeah. And then and then you get into my category, which is too Mm -hmm. old. Too old, mm. even be relevant, <laughs> and then, and then, uh, and then you get shamed for not, uh, not accepting your fate and rolling into a corner and yeah. uh, and knitting socks for your future grandchildren. Uh, it's, it's so wild, never ending, never ending for women.
4: Well, and it's so interesting too because one of the things I really appreciate about what you talk about is there, there is this. Um, there's this sort of supposition in the world that there's a, a boundless privilege that comes with being pretty. Uh-huh. And it's
5: to a certain extent right. There is an mm-hmm. absolute privilege. I call I call it pretty privilege.
4: Mm-hmm. And it
5: absolutely exists, yes.
4: But it also, I think it exists in a very nefarious way because it there's an illusion of a lot of privilege, but there's also a lot of using that happens to women who exist in these sort of industries and professions and and I think again for when I when I think about your story there's something about the fact that you were 15 you know when you started modeling I you were a little girl and you know you had to pick up and move to Paris in the midst of having finally been moved to Sweden like all of this is a lot for a teenager you know I got on TV at 21 I was old, old enough to vote and had a driver's license and could drink in the U.S. and all the things. I don't know that I could have handled it at 15. And I, I'm so curious, from this vantage point that you sit at now, how do you look back at that? And how do you sort of make sense of it all, the The gift of the career, the the toughness of it? Uh, the, the sort of jumble, the both and, if you will.
5: I'm not sure if I, I'm not sure if it makes sense. Honestly. Mm. I think a lot of things that happens to people does not make sense. And you just kind of have to accept that it never will. And yeah. it's, it's just what it is. That is <laughs> the progress. That is the lot that you were given. Yeah. I mean, for me, um, on one hand, in Sweden, I was in a in, in a school where where children where other girls were mercilessly bullying me.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, and I couldn't fit in no matter what I did. And I was suicidal. I, at twelve I, I tried to um slip my wrist in the bathtub. And fortunately I, I got a very dull uh, knife and and nothing really happened. And I still have a little like little star on my wrist from from the attempt. Uh. Um, and so you know, I missed my grandmother desperately because she was, like, she was my mother. I missed my, I missed, I missed my childhood, my home where I felt, yeah. this which was you know Czechoslovakia, and I felt so desperately alone, and um, and like I was just never going to fit in. Um, and so Paris, moving to Paris, was sort of afforded me a, a new door. Like I have no idea what behind what's behind this door marked number three but there'll be something else but the misery behind door number two and so um i was terrified but it i felt like well could it get any worse i mean i suppose it could but at that at that at that point i didn't think so and what was waiting awaiting me at, at at the other end of behind door number three was um and I, I was freedom. I was complete and utter freedom, which a 15-year-old should not have, mind you. I don't <laughs> highly recommend that to uh, most people or, or to myself. The cost of that freedom um, is uh, this pretty devastating anxiety that I have mm-hmm. with, my, with me ever since. Because, again, mm-hmm. like he was talking about our jobs not providing a routine. You're never... You were never in the same place twice. You Like for me, every day you're working with different set of people in a different location, and that sounds like a lot of fun unless you think of it as, a, you know, you're a 15-year-old kid and you're in a country where you don't speak the language and you don't know the people, and you are treated as an object. Yes. But a pretty object. So, again, confusing. Like was it? was it – unpleasant to suddenly go from being called, you know, communist whore to, you know, beautiful young woman. Nah, that that was so bad. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, that felt pretty good. And getting attention for being pretty as opposed to just different and, you know, ugly, definitely was definitely, a, a, was a better feeling. But, and then with that comes... This is a whole other thing of like fulfilling other people's expectations of you. Mm-hmm. Now, when your job is literally just be pretty, it's amazing how hard it is to wake up in the mornings and and believe that you are pretty because mm. you will look at yourself in the mirror every day and you'll go, oh no, there's like a you know a, a little vein in my eye that's going to lose me my job there's a pimple on my chin back in 1980 when i started there was no such thing as all that um you know like i mean now you can you know use any filter or any you know app and make yourself look flawless back then we actually had to look the way we looked on the page because um you know painting over something cost a lot of money so we expected to show up flawless and Mm. uh Nobody is flawless. So it, it mm-hmm. then puts you into this whole cycle of anxiety about waking up the next day and something being out of place, something having moved so that you will lose your job, so that uh, people will be unhappy with you. I mean, it's like you are this oh. conscious object and you cannot crack, ah, you cannot get dusty.
4: And would that happen? I mean, as a, as a kid, you know, bopping around Paris and going from shoot to shoot, you know, you said it yourself, it sounds glamorous, but when you really get into uh, the reality of it, it's hard and scary and anxiety inducing. Were, were there days where you would show up to things and, and be dismissed or watch other girls just get dismissed from jobs?
5: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So actually, very early on, um, that would see that that wouldn't happen to when you are established as a model and somebody's paying you a large amount of money for Mm -hmm. work that you're expected to do, then it doesn't happen anymore. But when you're starting up, yeah, I got I got fired. On my, like, I think third day of work, which completely, you know, it. I, I thought that was the end of my life. That's it. They're sending me back to Sweden. I'm like, nobody's going to want me. Um, because I, well, actually that day I got fired because the photographer didn't like that. I couldn't move right. He kept wanting me to, yeah, I'm a 15 year old kid. And they put these like ball gowns on me with one big Brown bows and in a park and they go, okay, do something, you know? And I'm like, do what? (laughs) You put a hand on the hip and you smile awkwardly and they're like, no, not that. You look stupid. Do something else. You have no idea what to do and nobody's giving you any, any, nobody's helping you. They're just sort of (sighs) expecting for you to figure this out.
4: And I didn't. And
5: so I got sent home. And I got sent home because of the pimple. I got sent home because one, actually once I lost like two weeks of work of, of really important money because I had been working with a photographer that used tungsten lights, which is the, these very, very bright lights. Um, and he sort of lined them all up in a row and then you had to look straight into the lights and you could only do it in short like short bursts you could only do it for like a minute or so and then you have to close your eyes because it you know it was blinding you but after working with them all day um my retinas were completely burnt and so i woke up the next day and my eyes were just glowing red i had no i had no whites in my eyes at all oh, it was were burnt, and um so besides the pain of that, uh, and also me going like, oh, my God, like, what's, what's going on? Is You're- this
4: permanent? Yeah. Yes,
5: I'm 16 years old. I don't know any doctors in France. I don't know what to do. Um, fortunately the agency uh, did send me a doctor. But it's like, yeah, well, you know, your eyeballs are, your retinas are burnt, and it's going to take about two weeks to
4: yeah.
5: heal itself. So, you know, stuff like that will happen. Um and I think a lot of people feel like um, that's a small price to pay for all of the benefits that you get from this. Right,
4: and maybe
5: that's true. I'm maybe that's true. I think in the, I think in the whole the in the in the span of, of 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 a life lived or selling beauty i suppose it is um is that you become an object to people and you see yourself as an object you mm-hmm. you get used to the idea that you are in fact an object mm-hmm. um, and that's That hasn't really hit me until now. I'm 58. And I'm finally finding out how much of my life I spent being okay with just being an object. Like, Uh there's nothing really expected of me, desired of me, um, but to be pretty. And how long, how that sort of, you know, that obviously comes at a cost of, of everything
4: else. And now a word from our sponsors who make this show possible.
0: Bean dad, the dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th minute of fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app,
1: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
9: This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast to live and die in LA. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half.
4: Well, I think about it, something, you know, in this sort of removing what isn't me from myself that I've been really hard at work on for the last year. Um, One of the things that's fascinating to me and, and something that, you know, when I was in this sort of point of crisis in November of last year, and I started working with my now therapist, he said to me, you have a very high threshold for suffering,
5: Interesting.
4: And it really took my breath away. And I realized that one of the things that makes me good at my job is that I can perform under any circumstance because that's my job to take care of my crew, whether I've just been hit by a co-star or I have just lost my grandfather or uh, you know, a war has broken out somewhere. My job is to show up and be a leader and smile and say hello to everyone and make sure the prop department has what they need and get my wire on. So the sound guys can wire somebody else. Cause we're two minutes behind and we don't have four minutes to be behind. And, and, and what I realized is that I like that I show up. I like that. I'm a good teammate. I don't like that. I turn my back on myself and my experience and what's hard for me. And I've done it for so long that I've, I've, I've recalibrated normal and bad, you know, violent is bad, bad that isn't violent is pretty normal to me, you know, and, and as, as the sort of lines go on and on, it's been really interesting to realize that I need to move where my threshold is much closer to safer and more gentle experiences interactions and relationships with people but what happens I think when you do that work is you don't have such tolerance for being treated like a product rather than a person yeah and that becomes a whole confusing thing in your work and I would imagine for you you know you're you're moving up in your career you're becoming this You know, really successful model. You become a supermodel. You you do a Sports Illustrated cover. You're the face of Estee Lauder. You know you're you are doing all of these enormous things, and in a way, the more you can be this beautiful product, the more rewarded you are. Yes. But I wonder. You know, from this point of incredible self-awareness that you are in, that you helped teach other people to do, you know, do you look back and go, "Oh, I can see the I can see the pain and the purpose in that stage in my career. I can see how, you know, at nineteen, I fell in love with a man who was forty and didn't think that that was weird. and And maybe, you know, so much of your love story was beautiful. And at this stage, we look back and we go like, who's talking to teenagers? You know, we have, we have, we can hold the both and of these things. Yeah. And I, I guess I just, I'm so curious about that sort of meteoric rise. You know, what happened to you in the course of four years? Does it feel wild to look back on it now? It only seems wild to me in if I'm comparing
5: it to, I suppose, you know, the, um, the life of of my friends or my family, Mm. these like extremes. But no, it's, it's my life. It's like, it's like your face. You wake up and look at it every day and you just think it's what it is. It's, it's what you were given.
4: Well, it's all relative to you.
5: It's all relative to me. So no, I don't look at it and think, wow. I remember when I, when I first started becoming um, popular as a model and there would be interviews done and how, how people would always react with like, my God, you have this incredible story. Like, you, you know, like if this was a movie, I'm not even sure we'd believe it. You know, from rags to riches, like you know, talk about it, it's like I'm like the quintessential American success story, right? Yes. From a poor communist girl, and she ends up top of the world as a you know high, highly overpaid model. Um, it's uh, I, I never really thought that there was anything that I think as a child you don't think that there is you you sort of believe that, well, I did, actually. Like, this is going way back hmm. for for, for um, comparison's sake. Um, when I was little, I thought, because my parents lived in Sweden, um, I thought everybody's parents lived in Sweden. I thought that that's <laughs> what parents did. Yeah. Like, you know, I didn't question it. This is what happens when you're a child. You don't question it. You grow up within a certain set of circumstances, and you go, oh, well, you know, I'm sure everybody else grew up like this, and mm-hmm. then you start seeing little indications that maybe that's not true. No, actually, other people's parents live in the same house. Oh, well, very puzzling. And then yeah. you have to start making these connections where you're like, oh, okay, so that 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 makes me somehow other. And I guess I felt to be other for such a large part of my life. Yeah. I don't really know what it's like to feel included or to feel connected to people mm. without feeling like I'm somehow an outlier, always on the on the sidelines. Yeah. Until now, like now, having written a book mm-hmm. and doing these events with women that are my age, that come to me and that have read my book and will say how much we have in common. Yeah. And thank you for this because it really resonated with me. And yeah, like, this is the most connected that I've ever gotten to be. Yes.
4: So what do you feel like led you to this? Because you do write from this really profoundly connected place and, and you do have these beautifully frank conversations with all of us who follow you. What, what do you think made that shift for you to live? unfiltered
5: it was never a shift it's just that nobody listened
4: Mm. nobody
5: cared because i was an object so nobody cared to hear from the vase no one cared to hear from you know the luxury car or whatever the hell i was whatever i represented right it was not um you know um i was incredibly fortunate to be in this exalted position, and Mm -hmm. having a voice was not a part of the deal. Right. This is who I've always been. Yeah. Never been filtered. I've always told the truth when asked. Mm -hmm. It's just literally, that was not interesting to anybody. And I'm still reeling that it's interesting to anybody now.
4: Yeah, and isn't that what's so interesting about social media, how much of it changed that for us, because we didn't have to rely on people to ask the questions and then print the article. We could just print the thoughts. Yeah. It, and, you know, there's this great moment in the book where you talk about the girl in the bar who recognized you yeah. and, she, you know, you're the crying lady on Instagram. I loved that post. Oh my gosh. And, and you said that that was really kind of the first time you felt heard. I took it as...
5: Such a compliment. It's funny, when I was retelling the story after right after to my table mates, they were sort of slightly horrified. They were like, Oh no, are you okay? Like, are you, you know, do you feel terrible about being called? And I was like, No, 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 guys, you're not getting it. This is a huge compliment. Yeah. You know, she the the I don't care what she calls me, but the fact that she's you know, that she took it as your vulnerability is allowing me to, uh, show mine. Like it Mm -hmm. makes me feel like it's okay not to have to be perfect all the time. That was the greatest compliment I've ever gotten. I mean, I, I, I still live off of that actually.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and do you think that that helped to motivate you to continue to keep going and have the conversations you have online with people in the way you do? I think that initial connection that you know i
5: and I think I've mentioned this on Instagram too enough times now, but my initial connection to um social media to Instagram specifically was just being at the end of my rope again. it was a moment of like sitting in the bathtub with a knife, um but this time, you know I'm a grown up, I have two children who are grieving i can't I can't do these like little pity parties, not that, I think in my case it was a little bit of a pity party. I, I don't think it was, uh, I don't think that I seriously considered mm. killing myself uh, because I sort of knew that, well, that it would be a selfish move and that, um, and it was kind of like, this is going to sound really strange, but it was almost like an idea that I toyed with. Um, to relieve some pressure, to think like, well, you know, I could always kill myself like later. Mm. You know, like I have to do, I, you know, I'm like, I don't really want to wake up tomorrow, but I have to. Mm-hmm. Um, I can always call it quits when everything is settled. Mm. Not ver- Not not thinking straight, obviously. So this is why I plugged into Instagram because I was literally, I was so desperately alone. And so, yeah, full of pain, and there was nowhere to go. There were no friends. It, w- it was middle of COVID. there was yeah. nothing I could do. And so I tossed that. it was like writing little help me notes sticking them into a bottle and casting it out into sea.
4: Yeah,
5: like maybe somebody will get. It, maybe maybe there'll be one person that'll hear me and go, oh, I hear you. Or one person that'll go, you know what? I kind of feel like you. We can yeah. find, let's through this experience. And, of course, it turns out because it was COVID and was a lot of other really unhappy people. It was not unique to me. It sort of built a little community.
4: Yeah.
5: And that's kind of where it started, where I felt like there was support. Of course, there's mm-hmm. also, you'll always get the haters, you know well, uh, you know, uh, you, need, you need to get stronger meds and get off of here. Like, who cares? Um, well, then don't be on my page. It's, it's really simple. The, the yeah. algorithm is really simple. If I bother you, don't be here.
4: Just don't be here. Yeah.
5: Like, hello, who's the smart one now? Yeah. Um, but I think getting that kind of support, and 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 feeling that little sense of, of, of this little community of, of women that were my mm. peers, women my age or just people who are in a lot of pain um made it made it really something like a community like so it's yeah. a community that I keep returning to because now this community has done incredible things for me I mean it's gotten people you know i use my voice and people
4: listen and now a word from our sponsors
0: bean dad the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs if you knew what any of those were you spend too much time online and hey i do too 16th minute of fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me jamie loftus where every week i take a closer look at an internet character of the day Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app,
1: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends.
8: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right.
4: And I think there's something so beautiful about that kind of vulnerability because we do fear as humans that, you know, we'll tell the truth and people will go, ooh, too much, and lean out. Yeah. And what really tends to happen is when you get vulnerable, other people lean in and say, oh, wow, I feel that too. And... I have loved watching the way that you opened up to talk about navigating grief and the way that you open up to talk about, you know, navigating, finding love, navigating aging and menopause and sexuality and all of these things that so many people seem to be so scared to talk about, but they're so central to our lives and, and our identity. And it's a joy to watch the lean in when these conversations move out in the world. And I guess I'm really curious, you know, from this vantage point, having been as open as you've been over these years and cultivating this community of women, you know, what do you love about it? What do you love about being vulnerable? What do you love about aging? What advice are you giving to women in this in this community that you've built?
5: Well, I mean, you kind of just answered that question by asking it um, <laughs> what I love is this community aspect mm. of it, is that I can put out a question out there and I will get I'm connected to people now yes it's virtually yes it's not you know because it can't always be face-to-face sometimes sometimes it is and again through the internet I get to then connect to them in person which is fantastic
4: yeah
5: but it's these connections These that if I bear myself, it prompts you to bear yourself. And there we establish a real, true, authentic connection mm. that's not superficial. I've had nothing but superficial my whole life. And mm. so this sort of heart-to-heart that happens because I decided to undress, by mistake, Um <laughs> but seeing the repercussions of that, of what happened when I let it truly spill out, mm. unaltered and, 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 and raw. Um, and the reaction, most of the reaction being, thank you and here's my heart in return.
6: Mm. That,
5: is, that is just, that is a place that I've never been in. I've never gotten to bear my heart, and I've never gotten to hold yours in return. And it's mm. to me, it's like it's like sl- life has suddenly taken on a meaning. Like, oh, this is what it's all about. It's about yeah. connections. It's about connecting to people. This is also why I will sometimes ask, you know, like. The other day, I I just posted a very simple post about what does free Palestine mean to you. You don't need a lesson on the history of the conflict. I can read the same information as everybody else. But I wanted to find out what it meant to people. What does this mean to you? What do you mean when you say this? I'm interested to hearing hearing from you Mm -hmm. because it allows me to... um, sort of a feel for the room that I'm being in and it can be assuring or it can be the opposite it can be alarming Mm -hmm. but being able to sort of communicate how we feel not shouting political facts at each other that's not a connection and yes when you know some people are really good at it and people that are educated on a specific subject and know enough about it, please put it out there. For me, I'm not. For me, I'm interested in the emotional human aspect. Mm-hmm. How do you react to this? Mm. How does this make you feel? Yes. Why do you feel this way? Like, let me know because I'm sort of incorporating it into this big bucket that then I like to let sit and ferment um, to get, you know, to get uh, the the usable stuff out of it,
6: you mm-hmm. when mm-hmm.
5: it does need to sometimes sit and mature. It's like this is not stuff that it's not, like you said before. It's not about an immediate feedback. Sometimes you have to take things in and just let them sit and let them pause. Yeah, you know, sort of. And it, this is how I, this is how I get new ideas. This is how I learn. This is how I grow. Is mm-hmm. by listening to other people's opinions that don't necessarily agree with me, that mm-hmm. I don't necessarily agree with and find the humanity in all of our perspectives. Sometimes so there, there are, there's occasions where this is impossible. Oh, yeah. I think we, we know, we know that, but in most cases we all just want to be heard. Everybody yeah. just wants to somehow register as existing and having and being heard sometimes it's just enough to be heard by one person and this is sometimes why trolls need to troll it's because they want to be heard by somebody even if it's you know it's like that child that's being you know getting negative attention is better than no attention right so sometimes I feel for them too I think oh my god you're you 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 need to you need to be offensive in order to be heard heard how what a what a sad pattern you're
4: in. Yeah. Yeah. What a hard position. Yeah. I'm curious because I, I feel very similarly to you and that, that, you know, the bigger the topic, the more I want to glean and, and digest and really sit with it and, and find thoughts, the more patience I'm giving myself to do so now than ever before. Some of these topics that you're talking about are so big, you know, concepts like aging and sexuality and our voice and how women are allowed to use their voices in the world and, and what doors we have to kick down to use them in the ways we want to. What do you think having gleaned so much from your community, is there is there advice that you feel like has fermented for you that you'd give to women about navigating their aging and embracing their sexuality at any stage um, you know, f- really feeling at home in their bodies and beings.
5: Well, um, I guess the first thing that I would say is the most important thing that I've learned with age is not to give anybody advice unless they ask. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I'm not going to be point. advising anything on any- anybody on anything that is not my right to do so. Um, I can share my experiences, which mm. is a different thing.
4: Um, That's really cool. I think the- That's
5: the other beautiful thing of aging is that you sort of come to these realizations, like the advice that I would give, were were I to give advice, you know, which is about, you know, uh, self-acceptance and and sinking into who you are and, 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 and celebrating the parts of, celebrating yourself because you're unique. All of that stuff actually comes with age you will all do that if you pay attention not you specifically but if 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 people pay attention they will sink into the same spot where i Mm. am with age that is the benefit of age that is the beauty of sort of turning the corner and understanding that um that yes you have unique traits you have like the, the the thing that constitutes you is unique and therefore of value. It might not be of value to the entire world. Yeah. It might be of value only to a few select people, but it is of value. And I think that is the thing that we all feel like we need is like to be of war, to be, of, again, coming back to wanting to be heard. Um, And and the, the blowback to this is when you talk about, well, actually the biggest blowback I get, I'm sorry, I'm like jumping around a little bit. The, big, the biggest blowback I get is daring to be a sexual female at my age. Hmm. Because you are sort of allowed to age, uh, you know, with grace um, by, I guess, starting to dress in sort of male looking suits and wearing your hair shorter and, you know, all of those things that are sort of typically the male domain. You are now, as an older woman, you're supposed somehow supposed to move into that. Like you're supposed mm. to be a handsome older woman. That's allowed. Like you can have a certain element of power about you, but you have to move into the male domain. Um, mm. If you if you represent yourself as still a a, a sexual creature, that's when you get a really they all that. This is what people don't want from you. Mm-hmm. Postmenopausal woman is not supposed to, I guess, want sex. Um, and she's not mm. supposed to be sexy, especially if she looks her age. Again, you can slip mm. by a little bit if you look younger. If you look younger, then it's okay to, you know, to to post some bikini shots of yourself. Um, but if you actually, if you look your age, then that's an absolute no-no. It has to be sexless. You have to be sexless. Uh, I'm not sure what exactly the cutoff point is there. Do you remember that skit that Julia Louis-Dreyfus did, The Last Couple Day? Yes. It's true. She, It wasn't, it's not a joke. It, there yeah. actually is such a thing. There is such a thing, certainly, for actresses. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's your last couple day. Now you're just going to get to play grandma. Yeah. Um, or the not or you know health care worker or something right but being the love interest mm-hmm. um, past a certain age yeah no no we, we the, the, that's we don't want that we don't want to see that and yet women my age my girlfriends a lot of them that are single recently single been single for a while um are the most ferociously sensual and sexual women I know. Mm -hmm. Now you don't have kids. You don't have to worry about, you know, what your children need and always putting other people first. Um, You know, you actually get to, you have time to have sex, to be sexy, to feel sexy. Mm -hmm. Um, In whatever variation that you, you know, obviously it's different for different people, but. Finally, you have the time for it, and, and, and you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to desire it anymore. Like, that time is better spent baking cookies.
4: And now, a word from our wonderful sponsors.
0: Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online.
4: We get to know ourselves better and better as we age. And everyone I know who's aging, you know, in my friend group and in the in the intergenerational friend groups we have where, you know, we've got friends who, similarly to you, my internet friend, are, you know, hovering around 60 friends who are, you know, my parents are in their mid-70s. I don't, I talked less to them about this, but you know, more, more to my community <laughs> who I want to have these conversations with. And everybody I know is like having better sex than they did in their twenties. Yeah. yeah, And, and even watching people find, you know, rather than the relationships they thought they should be in the relationships they want to be in, you know, you've been sharing about falling in love and what it is to really be in a relationship that, fills your life with such joy and where you well, feel uh,
5: so the seen that you choose rather mm-hmm. than a relationship that chooses you yes and i think this is a big big difference because yes you are a team when you're in your 20s if you're in your 30s yeah what 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 the relationship is based on is that um that spark right that je la pa, that chemistry thing which generally is really just unhealed childhood scars oh (laughs) let me marry mommy or daddy and try to fix them and we all do this um the the well not hopefully not all of us but i I certainly did do this um and it took me until 58 to get to a spot where i'm no longer attracted to my parents i'm no longer attracted to that same situation that i was to try to heal it, to try to heal myself, to try to mm-hmm. fix them. It's like, mm-hmm. I've worked all of that stuff out and it has allowed me to look for something else. Like I keep saying, it's readjusting my picker.
4: Oh, I love that. I've, I've done the same. Yay! And I think when you finally stop seeking the claws that fit your wounds, mm-hmm. and you go out in the world and you say, what will bring me joy? not not what will feel familiar to my pain but what will bring me joy what's on the other side of healing what's on the other side of picking at the scar
5: yeah i think joy we some again in my case i think i confuse the feeling of joy with a feeling of excitement, mm. uh, which is not necessarily a good thing. It's an excitement of the unknown because obviously you get uh, you get excited. Excited and nervous feels the same. Anxious, yeah. but it feels the same. And it's that thing where you get thrown into a, a situation that you can't entirely navigate or control. And you're uncertain. And that uncertainty makes you feel high. Yes. Um and, and joy has that same sort of lifting, but minus the pain. Yes. Yes. Often equate falling in love with that painful part. Mm-hmm. The fact that it doesn't have to be attached to any pain mm-hmm. is still a freaking revelation to me.
4: Of course. It's life-altering. Because yeah. even the idea that you're meant to fall in love, why not rise in love or grow in love? Yes. And when, and when the switch flips, your whole life changes for the better. So in this, in this stage that you're in, I want to, I'm watching the clock and I want to be respectful of time. I know we've gone over a bit in this beautiful stage that you're in, you know, you have this unbelievable book, which I know everyone listening at home who hasn't read it yet is going to run out and get it. And everyone who has is nodding along because they know. How do you, look at the landscape of your life when when growth and that sort of rising and that joy is so central to where you find yourself what what feels like the work in progress of your life now
5: um stimulating all of all of that input frankly because there's so Mm. much of it Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like you're doing a terrific job of it by the way congratulations
4: <laughs> i'm trying
5: <laughs> i love hearing this from um from other women too and you are mm-hmm. you' you're considerably younger and to be so at home in your skin uh, and processing what you are processing now is like wow you have such a i get a tiny bit envious that you have you know that that you have a um, you're much further ahead than I was. So con- like, congratulations to you on that. For oh, me so it's sort of just understanding that there's there's so much that I don't yet know. Mm-hmm. And and leaving myself open to hurt, to failure, to the violence that in- inevitably comes with learning. Mm-hmm. I know it it sounds kind of obvious like like we should all be in this space but i haven't gotten into this space until now until i'm sort of finally comfortable with the assemblage of the, the chemical assembly of who i am and who i was as a child i mean my my boyfriend just said this the other day and it kind of really stopped me he said something about how incredibly smart i was and Um, And I go, oh, you know, gee, thanks. That means a lot coming from, like, the smartest person I've ever met. (laughs) But you've heard this a lot, right? Like, you always hear hear how smart you are. And I thought, no, actually never heard how smart I was from somebody that I loved, from somebody I was good with. Never, ever been told that I was smart. Wow. And when I'm told I was when I was told I was smart, it was always in um uh it was always in comparison, it was always in like now now I'm talking about how smart I am and I can't find the words. It was always in relation to me being a model. I was smart yes. being a model, which is really not that smart. Um so uh I don't know Realized that when he told me smart, I believed him.
6: Mm.
5: That to me was almost a shocking revelation. Was to kind of go, "Oh, so at fifty-eight, finally, some my, my love tells me he thinks I'm the smartest woman he's ever known." I actually believe him. that mm. to me is like having traveled from the moon.
4: That's beautiful.
5: To this little space in LA, and so sitting with that, it allows me now to really look around.
1: Yeah,
5: and that's scary. It's really scary <laughs> to look around. It's so much easier to not look. Mm-hmm. So much easier to put blinders on, right? Yeah. Fall back into um, your lazy chair, turn on the TV to a. To, some, to something you've already watched 10 times because it's comfort food, and uh, just take that in. That's so much more comforting and so much easier than sitting in a new space and looking around and taking things you don't know. Yeah. And mm. yeah, that's I think that's that's also the, the, the pleasure of life right now is to be able to do that not yes. to be so scared into my corner. To feel like I'm strong enough to rave outside.
4: Yeah. To continue to grow. To continue to grow. And well, I wonder how long I
5: wonder how I wonder how long it takes people to before they kind of decide to shut down. Um, I think that's when you do get old, when you shut yeah. that muscle off. But I mean I look at my I look at my mom. Look, I have had an, an easy relationship with uh, for most of our lives, and we're finally kind of figuring things out. Again, it's never too late. Never. And I, she's seventy-eight, and she is. She has grown more in the last five years than mm-hmm. most of the time that I've known her. So, like, wow, wow, That's, that really inspires me.
4: Yeah. Well, and they talk about that, right? That when you begin to heal it reverberates out in both directions. You know, you're setting an example for those of us coming after you and you're healing up the line for the ones you came from. And it's, it's such an amazing thing to be reminded that we can do that for each other. And I think especially communities of women can do that for each other. We have these tethers to each other. And when we lean in, it, it really does change everything. When we lean in with
5: vulnerability and with honesty, we really can help each other. And I think mostly we don't seem to actually be entirely capable of that until we get a little older.
4: I agree. There's too
5: many things in the way when you're there's too much competition imposed by society.
4: Yes. But I think as we get older, we unlearn all the bullshit that society told us we were supposed to feel about each other and about our surroundings and and we find each other in a new way I mean you talk about it with your mom you talk about it with your digital community and and I just keep coming back to this idea that really what you do over and over and over again is is you encourage the rest of us to live an unfiltered life to keep digging and it's beautiful and I I just want to say thank you
5: oh my gosh thank you
4: (laughs) You are you are a treasure. I feel like I could talk to you forever. I know we've gone so far over, but I, I hope this will just be the first of many conversations I get to have with you.
5: Oh, well, you are much too kind and this was delightful. And you are just such a bright, brilliant light in your corner. Thank and you. I appreciate you so much. So know that. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, you,
4: you so much. To.
1: Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest